0: Thanks, Micah. Well, good morning. It is good to be together this morning. I want to highlight um, two of the announcements. One, with Reach St. Pete. Reach St. Pete is a local mission that we partner with and learn from here in the city. Brittany already told you clearly what Reach St. Reach Pete is about. Their fundraiser next Sunday is their biggest fundraiser of the year. And if we can get behind it, if I was thinking maybe house groups or families or individuals who would like to serve uh, somewhere in between the time slot that they have set up. It's a, it's a pretty long event. So even if you can serve a half an hour or an hour, please sign up. We're doing it old school. We've got a sign-up sheet on that back table. Um, put your name and your email address down, and we'll get you the information that you need from there. I know she said it, but I just want to encourage us to really consider doing that, to serve Reach St. Pete. There are a handful of churches that have really stood behind Reach St. Pete, and it's a privilege to be one of them, and I just love what we're learning from them. Also, tonight is our first night of prayer and praise. I'm so excited to come together for one hour, and I just want to ask you to be here. And if you can't, please join us um, live stream, but really make every effort to be here. It's so important that we move forward together as a church in prayer. The strength of what we do here as a community is not found in our preparation. It's not found in rehearsal. It's not found in any of that. It's found in prayer. And so from the start, we've always said we want to move forward with uh, dependency and expectation. And so as we gather tonight, there'll be five categories that we're going to be praying through, five individuals that I've asked to, to lead us in prayer, and then in between those categories, we're going to be singing. Simple time but an important time, and I believe it will be a powerful time. So invite you to be here at 6 o'clock tonight. Open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 145. We're going to take a break from our series in the book of 1 John today. Psalm 145. Do you remember live concerts? When we could actually gather in hundreds and even thousands of people to hear our favorite band play? how exciting that was to stand shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of strangers and sing songs that we all knew and and smell each other in the process. (laughs) um, But at the end of the show, after the band exits the stage, everyone uh, in that group is hoping that they'll come back to play one more song. And and even people are waiting for it and cheering and screaming. And and then they come out to play one more song, and it's the encore. And it's usually one of their most popular songs, and, and everyone goes crazy. But Psalm 145 is the last of King David's songs or psalms, and I can't think of a more appropriate way for the greatest songwriter in the Bible to end things. It truly is his encore. and David invites us to join in and make it our own, to sing at the top of our lungs. There's no limit to God's greatness, and there is no boundary on his love. So with that in mind, let's read the encore. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near To all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Three things I pray we see here. One, David's voice leading the way. Two, our voice, we're invited in. And three, creation's voice. The song begins with David's voice leading the way. It's very personal. Yes, this song is a corporate song that David has written for Israel, but it's a personal song. This is King David. Remember David, the shepherd boy who became a king? It's written of him that he was a man after God's own heart, this imperfect and sinful man, but a man nonetheless humbled by God's grace and anointed to be the king of Israel. It's a man who wrote songs out of the overflow of his heart and his experience with God. Many of the Psalms that we have are of David. And Psalm 145 is actually an acrostic poem. David used the letters of the Hebrew alphabet to begin each line. And so the structure highlights the message, and it would have helped with memorization. We don't see that in the English, but in the original, it was written that way. And in verses 1 and 2, he's saying, this is what I will do. And then in verse 3, he's saying, here's the reason why. So here we have the king of Israel celebrating God, the eternal king, for who he is, for what he's done, for what he's promised. And he's holding him high. He's making declarations about God. He invites us in to celebrate what is true of God. David's leading worship, and he leads by example. He says, my God and King. My God and King. The personal pronoun, it emphasizes relationship, And it emphasizes the personal and unwavering decision that David has made. You know, you you can't lead anyone to a place that you're not willing to go. You can't lead others where you haven't been or where you're not willing to go. You can't say, follow me as I follow Christ, if you're not following Christ. David's leading by example. Church, I have to remember this. My identity is not in what I do, my vocation as a pastor, my calling as a pastor. And what's absolutely essential for me to lead in a healthy way is that I lead out of the overflow of my joy in the Lord as a follower of Jesus first. I can't ask you to follow me where I haven't been. I can't ask you to go somewhere I'm not willing to go. It's true of me. It was true of David. It's it's true of you. So first and foremost, I'm a follower of Jesus who's been humbled by his grace and love. And I'm inviting others to see him for who he is. David is God's anointed king. And his resolve is crystal clear in this song. He will exalt the Lord. He will exalt him as king. And, and, and he's exalting God as king, the one who rules and reigns over all, with might and power, with love and justice. And you can see David is just bowing his very life before God, acknowledging God's sovereign rule over him when he acknowledges God as my king. And so I have to ask, have you acknowledged God as your king, king of your life, do you acknowledge God, his kingship, his rule, his good and just and righteous rule? Worship is acknowledging that someone or something else is greater, worth more, worthy, worship, worship. And as a result of doing that, this, this one should be obeyed and feared and adored, and I would add to that, loved and sought after. One author says, Worship is the simultaneous expression of dependency and worth. I like that. This expressed dependency. I can't can't do this without you, Lord, and worth. You are awesome. You are worthy. I'm humbled by what I see of you and have experienced of of you, Lord. You're, You're Majestic and holy and righteous and good and loving and true and pure and personal and active and involved. These things of you, this is who you are. You're worthy. And so worship is that simultaneous expression of dependency and worth. Who or what is the object of your praise? Where are your affections spent? What directs your decision-making? What do you find the most joy in? What do you stand in awe of? What do you celebrate? What do you talk about? Verses 1 and 2, again, David says, I will. I I will. Every day, I will. Do what? He says, I will exalt, which means lift high. I will extol, which means I'm going to be enthusiastic about you. I will praise, which, which... is about bowing down and blessing and kneeling before. And I will do these uh, directed at your name. Your name, it's all about God's character. Literally, his, who he is. And that's mentioned twice. And he will do this, he says, forever and ever. And verse 3 is why. Here is the reason why David says he will do this. Great is the Lord. We sang it today. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Perspective is being given here. All right, we say that someone is great when we're amazed at his or her achievements, right? We applaud their greatness. The Rays did a great job. Yes, they had us all nervous, but they did great. David is is glorying in the fact that God's greatness, no one can fathom. There are no limits, There are no boundaries on God's greatness, is what David is saying. God's greatness is beyond the ability of the human mind to fully grasp, to fully describe and fully comprehend, to fully put into words. But this is important. We have true and real knowledge of God. We do. He's revealed truth about himself that we hold on to and celebrate. But we will never have complete or exhaustive knowledge about him. How does that make you feel? God knows everything about you. You can't know everything about him. And so we humbly bow before the one whose greatness we will never fully grasp. Oh, but we've seen something of his greatness. Oh, we've seen something of his beauty. We've seen something of his love And that something, it produces a real response in us. It should. It produces a response of praise. But that something we've seen of God is just a glimpse. It's like a, a drop compared to the ocean of God's greatness and splendor. And so David says in verse three, your greatness no one can fathom. It's humbling, but it's glorious. See, when you see a masterful work of art, y'all know I was an art major, I get excited, all right, with paintings and mixed media, uh, works of art, it excites me, all right? So if we were going through a museum and we see this masterful work of art, it, it, what it does for me, it just pushes me outside of myself and, and I can easily get lost in it and just look at everything for, I want to see like little paint. Uh, bristles in the in the paint caught in the paint to the brush strokes to why the artist did what he did Uh, the more i delight in a piece of art the more i discover particularities about that piece that move me and the more eager i am to invite the one beside me to see them as well the same is true of god the more particularities we see of god The more truth we see of him and the beauty that just unfolds before us, in particular when we see it revealed in scripture, we're going to bring others by the hand to see it too. We're going to want them to experience what we've experienced. David wants that for those who are hearing this masterful song. So we've heard David's voice. Now, number two, it's our voice. This is getting communal. It's personal, but it's communal. He says, generations will join me, basically, in praising you. He says this in verses 4 through 7, and then in verses 8 through 9, he's giving the reason why they will do that. First, in verse 4, and this has been the pattern throughout the Bible, he says, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. That has been the pattern Throughout the storyline of redemption, throughout the Bible. See, by commending, they're celebrating, they're entrusting to others the story of God's greatness that's been handed down to them. The baton has been passed. All right? David had his day. It's our day now. The stories of God's greatness and majesty and his works have been passed to us. The question is, will we be faithful to pass it to the next generation? God's greatness was handed down to them, and they proclaimed it. And we heard it, and we embraced it, and now it's our turn. And so the idea here, as he he sings this song, is is that he is declaring in a loud and a triumphant tone God's works, God's mighty acts, Uh, The glorious splendor of his majesty, his wonderful works, his awesome works, his great deeds, his abundant goodness, his righteousness. The words just keep piling up. He's trying to describe the indescribable. He's writing a really good song. And he says, one generation to another. And so here's the deal. If, if, If our children don't know the stories of the Bible, they won't cherish them. If our children, if this next generation doesn't see the beauty, the greatness, and the splendor of God's majesty, they will not stand in awe. If they don't see the great cost of the cross of Christ, they will not appreciate it. And so, have we made clear that God is our greatest treasure? Have we made clear that he is our greatest treasure by cherishing him when no one's looking, treasuring him when no one's looking, but also commending him and speaking the truth of of who he is to those around us, especially that next generation. Do we stand in awe of God? Can we tell the story? Can we pass it on? You, You know the story of God's faithfulness to raise up a nation through a man called out of idolatry and seemingly out of nowhere, Abraham, And through this man, a nation would be born, a nation that would endure all kinds of brokenness and famine and and enslavement, and after hundreds of years, be delivered by another man who felt completely inadequate, a man who stuttered, a man who didn't want to be used of God that way, Moses, and God would use Moses to deliver in a miraculous way the nation of Israel, which would go on to wander in a desert and encounter God at Mount Sinai to be given the law and to establish a covenant through which the sacrificial system would be just unfold so that they would understand God's holiness and their sinfulness, and through which the prophets would come, and anointed kings like David would come, and all of this would point forward to our need for a Savior, the Messiah, the anointed King, Sacrificial system pointing to the greatest sacrifice. The anointed kings pointing to the anointed king. All pointing forward to Christ. Yeah, I keep moving over. This is the timeline. I'm following the timeline. <laughs> I don't want to go too far, but you get the point. Can we tell that story? Can we just dip into parts of that story and celebrate it with one another? Verse 5 they speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. But he goes on to say, they speak and, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate uh, your abundant goodness. But before that, verse 5, I'm sorry, and I will meditate on your wonderful work. So they're speaking, I will meditate. He's saying, I'm going to stay here for a while. I'm going to soak in this. I'm going to think about this and all of its implications. I think that's important for us to like, Bring it back. Slow down. Think about God's greatness. Think about these stories. We want to speak. We want to tell. But we also want to meditate. Essentially saying, I'm going to proclaim your great deeds. I'm going to be a part of this. I'm not going to check out and let others do this for me. But but i got to slow down and consider them first. And I think that's important. In Psalm 111, verse 2, I love what the psalmist does here. He says, Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied or pondered or thought about by all who delight in them. When you delight in something, uh, you think about it. You you stay there for a while. As you delight in God, you're going to ponder his ways. You're going to think about uh, his ways and what it means for your life and your future and for the people around you. Then we see in verses eight through 8 and 9, the the character of God basically falling off the page. One of the most quoted verses in in Scripture, in the Old Testament. And it's right at the center of his song. And And I think that's, it's intentional. We've got the character of God right there at the center. It says, the Lord is, this is what he's like. He is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is Good to all. He's good to all. And He has compassion on all He has made. And so when we are tempted to think God is not good because we're facing a dark season when we're seeing all the, the, the injustices just all around us in, in, our, in our own lives and in the lives of others, and we're tempted to shake our fist at God, and we, we need to be reminded of God's character and what is true of God. God, you are good. I don't like what I see around me. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I know you're good. So help me, help me to see this rightly in view of who you are. It's okay to wrestle. But this song has a way of bringing us back to the centrality of God's character. And this is a quote from that unforgettable revelation of God at Mount Sinai that Moses had. Remember I told you he led the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery, brought them into the wilderness and Moses encountered God at Mount Sinai where he was given the commandments and, and, and Moses uh, prayed, Lord, show me your glory. You can read about this in Exodus 34. Show me your glory, Lord. I want to see who you are. And, and God hid Moses in the cleft of a rock, and he passed by him and allowed him to see his backside, and then he spoke these words that we're reading in this psalm. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. So wait a minute, you want to see my glory? I'm going to tell you what I, who I am and what defines me. Okay, what are all these stories of Intervention. Stories of deliverance leading the listener to, leading us to. Ultimately, all the mighty acts and the great works of God, they point us to God's character. And again, that is why his character is central in this song. That's where all the commending and the storytelling should end up, focused on God's character. And so it's there that we see what God is like. Even when we don't see it in our day-to-day, even when, or I should say, even when we don't feel it, this is what God is like. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you feel it or not, this is what God is like. So how are you responding to what is true of God? How are you responding to what is true? Do these truths direct your life? We are called to commend the works of God to the next generation by asking, have you seen Have you seen how glorious and awesome God really is? And that's what David is doing. He's just putting it out there. He's putting it before us. It's his encore. This is everything he's got. It's loaded. And the volume's about to get really loud. Number three, creation's voice. It's worldwide. We can go ahead and turn the volume up to 11 because that's really where it goes. Look at verse 10. All your works praise you, Lord, Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know, all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. Kingdom. Kingdom is used four times in verses 11 through 13. It's bringing out the theme of God's gracious rule again. So David is celebrating God's kingdom. Why is David, King David, celebrating God's kingship again and his kingdom? He's celebrating God's good and righteous rule and reign. His reign is truly good news. The prophet Isaiah spoke the same way. In Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 7, Isaiah writes this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring gospel. Who bring good news. How beautiful are their feet. Who proclaim peace, shalom. Who bring good tidings. Who bring salvation. Who say to Zion, your God reigns. Your God rules and reigns. He's not some indifferent God floating on a cloud somewhere, stroking his beard, who gives doesn't care about uh, your life. No, no, no. He reigns. The God of the Bible, your God, is a God who cares and who's right and who's true and who's holy and who's pure and who's loving and who's good and he reigns. And that's good news. Because if he wasn't in control, we would be out of control. More out of control than you feel today. But he reigns. He reigns supreme. And this is good news. Isaiah, the prophet, spoke of it as good news. Uh, David, the king, spoke of it as as good news. Jesus himself proclaimed the kingdom of God. That was his message. Do you remember in Mark where he says, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time has come or has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news, the gospel is the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. It's good news. And Jesus is the king of the kingdom that he's proclaiming. He is the king, the Christ, the anointed one. And so here he is proclaiming the reign of God, and Jesus then begins to demonstrate God's reign over darkness, over evil spirits, over the brokenness of God, sin which leads to all kinds of just the unraveling of humanity whether it's sickness or death or unforgiveness jesus is showing his power his dominion that he's the king and then that king that we've bowed our lives to takes up his throne where of all places where with a crown of thorns the cross the cross An unusual throne, wouldn't you say? To bring us victory. And so here we live in the kingdom. To be a a Christian is to be a child of God, to be in the kingdom, a follower of the king. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done. His kingdom has come in Christ, but one day uh, it will be fully here in all of its beauty and splendor and glory, meaning... All sin will be eradicated, tears wiped away, things will begin to make sense in ways that they they just don't today. So there's this already not yet nature to the kingdom. It's where we live. Listen, David was excited about the reign of God. We should be excited all the more about the reign of God through his son Jesus, what it means for our life. It's good news. It's good news. And then in verses 11 through 12 of this song, we see the missionary heart of the song just come out. Because what's his desire? They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts. We can't keep this to ourselves. Well, we don't want to. Are you kidding? God reigns and his reign is a good reign. It's a righteous reign. It's a reign that, that, that actually wins my heart and, and brings forgiveness and grace. And, and it's, a, it's a reign that I bow my life to. It's a reign that, that helps me make sense of why I even exist and why I, I'm here. God, God's reign is good news. And then verses 14 through 20, we have these real life examples of the gracious rule. The reign of God just unfold. Quickly now, verse 13, God is faithful to all his promises. He's loving towards all he's made. Verse 14, he helps the broken. Don't forget that. God restores the weak and he is compassionate. Verse 15, God provides food for every living thing. Verse 18, God is near to those who call on him. He is close as a friend and he is eager to help us in our time of need. I just wanna encourage you, church. There's so much here in this song There's just so much in this song. It's so packed. I I just want to encourage you to grab one or two things that are true about God and, and meditate on them. Hide them in your heart. Celebrate them. This is something that I celebrate often the nearness of God. I'm pumping gas. God, you're present. You're near. I'm changing that stinky diaper. You're near. I meet with my friend who's contemplating getting a divorce. God, you're near. Give me grace. Give me wisdom. I'm reading the word of God and I feel like he is so far from me. God, you're near. You're near to me. I may not feel it in this moment, but I I recognize you're near. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He protects and cares for those who belong to him, and he will destroy the wicked. Clearly, his rule is a gift. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. Church, does God impress you? Are you impressed by God? Does he move you? What if he doesn't? Maybe something or someone else impresses you more than him right now. If that's the case, how can you grow in your awe of God's work, of his works, and of his character? Because, listen, if you're not impressed by who God is, if you're not impressed by what he's done, you will not worship him. And so here's the big question. How will you respond to this song? How do you respond to this song? And maybe your response should just simply be this. God, would you wake me up to the splendor of your majesty? Would you wake me up? Help me to see the beauty of who you are and to celebrate it in ways I never have before. Would you renew my joy, the joy of knowing you, really knowing you, So David's voice closes things out, verse 21. My mouth will speak, makes it personal. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. And then he opens it up for all of us. There's this invitation. Let every creature praise uh, his holy, his set apart, his righteous name forever and ever. This is the non-negotiable, uncompromising decision on David's part. Is it yours? A non-negotiable loyalty to God. This is what I'm going to do. No one's going to get in my way. It's happening. I will praise him. I will praise him. He invites you into it. He invites me into it. Now listen, one day my voice will be silenced just like David's. David's, he's, he's dead, in case you didn't know. One day I will be dead. My voice will be silenced. But the generation that I commended his marvelous works to will not. Their voice lives on. And the generation that they commend his works to will proclaim it as well. The baton has been passed. It's it's in our hands now, local. It's in our hands. It's why we're here. It's why God has established us as a church to proclaim his mighty works, to celebrate his glorious deeds, to celebrate the reality of who he is, most of all, in the face of Christ, the work of Jesus for us. As we bow our lives to Jesus' rule As we marvel at his victory won for us on the cross, it should produce a Psalm 145 response. And like that encore, you know, that last song that everyone, shoulder to shoulder, we're sweating like crazy, and we're belting out at the top of our lungs to our favorite band. We can sing with all of God's people, God, there is no limit to your greatness. There's no boundary on your love. I want to join that song. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this song. Thank you for the clarity brought about what is true of you. There may be no limit to your greatness, and that's sobering and humbling. Thank you for what we have seen of you In scripture, thank you for what you've shown us about yourself, and most of all, thank you for what you show us about yourself through Jesus. We celebrate these truths of your compassion and of your grace and love. We recognize your holiness. We recognize that you've invited us now to declare the praises of who you are and to celebrate your great works. Help us to be faithful as a church to do that, as a people. It's our turn. Lord, help us to do this with faithfulness and joy and to see it as a privilege. Amen.